Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. From autosport.com and autosport magazine, I'm Martin Lee. And this is the Autosport Podcast. Lando Norris is still waiting for that first win of his Formula One career. Max Verstappen is on his 17th win of the season alone. Uh, But it would finish today, much like the sprints on the Grand Prix. Max Verstappen, Lando Norris, one and two, making a habit of this. Fernando Alonso finished third, and that battle between Alonso and Sergio Perez is what provided really the last third or so of the Grand Prix. Some real action to watch, and we'll talk about that first but we'll also get into, well, the Aston Martins, because Lance Stroll finished fifth. Very respectable in the Grand Prix today. Only one Ferrari finished. Only one Mercedes. And even then, they're having some real issues this weekend. Plus, we'll get into the first lap incident that's uh, ended up taking out about a, a quarter of the field. I'm joined by Matt Q, who is there for us uh, today in Brazil. And back here, well, not here, uh, his house, you know, is Philip Clearan, our F1 reporter. Let's get into it and going to begin talking about that amazing battle. Obviously, we'll get on to the the win and Lando and a great start from him, which made up three places. Uh, But Matt, we'll come straight to you and we'll talk about that battle, which really did liven up the Grand Prix, which had fallen into a bit of a lull. And Alonso in what is a slower Aston Martin held off. Perez in that rocket ship RB19 to get the final place on the podium. Well, that was a great battle that I think this Grand Prix needed and Alonso was the eventual victor. Yes, it wasn't a blockbuster Grand Prix. I think you had a bit of first lap excitement with the crash, then a bit of Norris versus Verstappen and then potentially time to go and make yourself a cup of tea and you had plenty of time to do that because it was only in that closing stages where uh, we got a good good battle between Alonso and Perez. I think a couple of factors to consider there one was that the Aston Martin was very quick in a first and third sector but pretty off it in the second sector so that meant Perez could close in an area of the track where he couldn't really overtake and then Alonso sort of had a lot in his arsenal with the you know through the DRS zones the high speed stuff where he was 
vulnerable from the you know the red ball with the mega straight line speed to sort of fight back he was also so like shrewd wasn't he going offline using unconventional runs around the corners to sort of throw Perez and I do think I was uh, texting uh, Kev Turner autosport editor through the races as you do and we're sort of talking about guys Perez a bit slow here but actually I think in in the grand scheme of things, maybe there's that psychological element of I've just had a huge whoops in Mexico, a lot of pressure over my future. I just play this safe and bank some points when going against Alonso. But um, while we got an Uber out of the circuit, I was sort of scrolling through social media. It's just everyone waxing lyrical about Alonso and I can totally see why. F1 sent one of their team running to the pit wall to film the two cars go over the line and it's proper photo finish. Absolutely excellent stuff. And... The noise from the crowd was spectacular at that point. I know with the you know the the done thing is the TV director cuts to Max crossing the line having a few celebrations, um, and I think it, it was also that battle where the TV director cut to some fans in the grandstand for ten seconds too long while Alonso and Perez were going at it. But that was that was the battle, and um, Alonso had a couple of those. Was it over? Over the line in Suzuka last year at Vett, uh, with Vettel, he tried to leave it late and didn't quite get it done. Well, this time it was him and and the Aston Martin that that edged ahead. And uh, yeah, brilliant, brilliant sort of um, late dice. I'm going to say two words: split screen. Other sports seem to be able to do either split screen, picture in picture. I think it was like the early 2000s. Uh, one of my friends had a TV that did picture in picture and you could watch two things at once and it was the future. <laughs> so come on, Formula One, however you want to do it. I get that you want to watch Verstappen crossing the line. I understand it. You've paid for all the fireworks that go off in sequence as he's driving down and you got your fancy shot. I get it. But oh my goodness me, that's, that's, that's two races in a row now. It, it, I don't want to disappear down a rabbit hole Martin but I remember on the PlayStation 2 you know split screen was par for the course for games I remember 007 Nightfire and now that's gone or I remember my parents sort of uh, the TV we had in lounge which obviously was just enormous huge it went on for (laughs) miles but I can remember you could have screens side by side with that as well you could have the weakest link alongside neighbours you know better back then there was about half a minute between Max crossing the line and the photo finish so they could have maybe just been a bit snappier to go back to that battle but it was a good battle Alonso said that when Perez finally got past he thought he was done for he thought he'd lost the podium I was pretty convinced that Alonso would at least send it but then he started losing a little bit more ground and then I thought hmm maybe he's too far behind but then he came back and it was yeah it was exactly what the race needed because as you said it wasn't exactly a thriller so now we have something to remember this race by and instead of being forgotten, we'll have, we'll always have that jewel in all the highlight reels and all the social media videos. So it was cool. It was, it's always good to see Alonso do the old fox, you know, to thrust his paws into Perez. I don't know if that's what foxes do, but it was great to see. And especially for Aston Martin, they had like a, a horrible second half of the season. So. And it's a bit weird maybe to say that about Aston Martin because they've already had, what, seven podiums? There's teams that could use a podium a lot more, but you could see how much it meant to the team because their season was really starting to fizzle out and it was nice to see them get it back together. In terms of that battle, what do you think it's done for Perez after that disaster move in Mexico? Because I had this, this sort of sneaky feeling 
based on nothing, but I'm just not so sure about this, that getting bested by Alonso in an Aston isn't necessarily covering him in glory. He said afterwards to the media, he's so pleased. He, he felt that it was a great battle. He loved it. He, th- he thinks that both drivers came out really well from it. And, you know, obviously he didn't get the result. That's a shame. I'm not sure that's a good look for Perez. No, it's not. I mean, he just came out of the car, so he would be full of adrenaline, full of buzz and respect for Alonso. They had a really nice moment in the TV pen where they had a nice hug, uh, sort of patted each other on the back. And as great as that battle was, he shouldn't have been there in the first place, should he? He should have been further up the road. He should have been able to pass Alonso earlier and, and... pull a bit of a gap now he's had to come for further down he's had to I think pass Lewis twice on the road so he was a bit on the back foot as he says and that's a fair point but still if you look at what Max has done to be half an hour half an hour that would have been quite bad half a minute behind mm, I think on the on the plane back he will probably just scratch his head a little what I will say is that after that calamitous Mexican Grand Prix last week maybe there's also an element of you know not ending in tears getting that result but he really should have been on the podium today before we depart from Aston Martin it was uh, an unnatural place for them to qualify because it was an unnatural Q3 the weather came in people got the times they got Uh, we saw Perez was unfortunately uh, hindered by Piastri's off in Q3 so he didn't start where he should if I could use that word should have done and if he had started where he should have done he probably would have followed Verstappen home but as it was he still finished you know still followed him home 30 plus seconds down the road so we're talking about a great battle but really it's a case of yeah but you shouldn't really have been that far back Perez it seems like the pressure's off it seems like he's going to get second uh, giving Red Bull that one two that they've so long waited for but I still don't feel like it's quietened the conversations after the Grand Prix about who gets that second seat next year in the Red Bull uh, what do you think Matt is it a silly speculation that's going on or is it still really up for debate no I don't think it is silly speculation and if you know people at Red Bull are unhappy with that assertion well you know that's what you get if you change drivers mid-season and have a bit of a reputation for it. I mean, I did, I did, I've had a bit of a back and forth with Perez this weekend because, as in, as in my opinion of him, not actually like arguing with him as such. Um, but like, because his line after Friday qualifying was, you know, if Oscar hadn't gone off, I would have been second to Max Verstappen. And I, originally I was like, yeah, that actually, that works out. Sector one, sector two of his aborted lap would have put him sort of uh, 2.5 or two and a half tenths off, which is still quite a, you know, it's a not inconsiderable margin to your teammate, but it would have put him ahead of Leclerc. But that was going off sector times. Then I decided to get a bit more nerdy and look at the data down to basically the final corner when he got hindered. And he would have been four tenths off. So it'd have been, you know, a bit further back. And that is a considerable goal over an incredibly short lap, you know. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. One of the shortest laps on, on the calendar. So, from that perspective, not great, but it is somewhere to build from. And, you know, obviously Mexico was a disaster in terms of the first corner, but pace, maybe it's ever so slightly better, more convincing. And Ricardo, not, not a, you know, it's, 
not a, not a, as co- not comparable to Mexico his performance this weekend through qualifying although he was unfortunate in in turn one so in 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 that respect it sort of relieves the pressure a little bit because there's been a slight upward tick from from Perez and and Ricardo isn't absolutely smashing on a door for the seat but it's it certainly feels like the wind is only blowing in one direction, doesn't it? With all you know, with all the noise, all the all the drama, the fact that at Red Bull the paperwork isn't sacred, and yes, it's been proved that Perez wasn't about to announce his retirement in Mexico, and yes, he is under contract for next season, and and if you believe rumor, then it's you know, Ricardo isn't necessarily Helmut Marco's number one choice because Marco's still upset that he left for Renault and all of these bits swirling together and and you know why isn't Yuki Tsunoda in the frame necessarily but that he is a driver utterly bereft of confidence I feel and and from Red Bull's point of view even if they get second in the Constructors Championship with arguably one of the best cars that battle has been way too drawn out and it's taken Mercedes to have a shocker of a weekend and does it just come down to something as fundamental as, you know, the 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 definition of insanity, which is often said, which is, you know, trying something over and over again. Perez has had a couple of shots and, you know, there was questions about his form as he dipped compared to Max Verstappen in 2022. And now again, this time, will it be any different in 2024 and the same regulations, the same car with Max Verstappen loving a rear bias driving setup? No, it won't. So then you're in a pool of diminishing returns. And if next year with, you know, Dietrich Mastic's dead and a different corporate setup that you have to answer to, if you then are third, fourth, fifth, and it's obvious that it's Perez and you haven't acted on it, that's a lot harder to justify when it's no longer like one man's train set as it was under Mastership. So all those things together, and this is not me peddling agenda, uh, an agenda. I, frankly, I don't care who Red Bull have in their seats as long as it gives Max a bit of competition and makes things more interesting. It is a very tough situation for Perez to come back from even with a winter reset. You are someone who often talks about the intelligent drivers on the grid. I think it was clear today that Alonso has lost nothing with his either his you know experience in the sport, his physical age, his time away from Formula One seemed to be what he needed to. Uh, he seemed to be not only as sharp as Alonso ever was and tenacious and brilliant, but so intelligent in that drive as well. And and I was wondering why Perez didn't mix up the lines a little bit why he didn't um maybe just back off maybe cool the tires maybe recharge a little bit for a couple of laps and then it seemed to be the same and the same and the same again not asking you to like i say uh, do perez down but it seemed like a very intelligent drive from from fernando alonso it was absolutely mega from Alonso. I take nothing away from him. But i think as we saw throughout the grid whether it was mercedes disaster or whatever or, or you know the massive trains that formed. I think the Pirellis performed so badly this weekend that whether or not Perez had the mental capacity to back off and bring them into a window, I actually don't think the rubber had the capacity to do it this weekend. As uh, by the time this goes out, uh, this podcast goes out tomorrow, maybe I'll have followed a story. But Pirelli are now you know with F one. They sort of realise that they built this tyre specification for the 2022 ground effect cars and they've developed it to little. But the aero development from all the teams has been 
pretty unforeseen. So you've got the you know a lot of dirty air back this year uh, compared to what the ground effect rules were meant to do. So it's harder to follow, and they've got huge overheating problems and degradation. And and these tyres need to change. Now they probably won't. Well, they won't change now before 2025. But the tyre manufacturers come to that conclusion as well. And I think this was a particularly exaggerated race. But like if uh, you know, Album was going on about them after after the sprint race said they were terrible terrible to drive and that there was no like divergent strategy or even a case of like max did it ever so slightly i thought against um norris early on but his trademark thing of like leaning into the tires gradually so he can extend them for a stint none of that paid off today so i i I think yeah maybe that's being slightly charitable to press but i just don't think there was that 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 divergence today it was almost it was almost like a sprint race. Like, sorry to go on, but um, Sergeant, I think, was the only person to start the race on anything other than soft tyre. He did the mediums, and then as soon as was the race, red was right, red was race flagged. He ditched those and did softs to the end, and and that was basically the optimum because it was only one compound that worked. And I use the word sort of worked advisedly. You know, it was just slightly less bad performing than the other tyres. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let me run through. Uh, we'll get into a more conventional. We'll start. We're talking about the uh, the winner and the battle uh, up front because it's such a good place to start. Though it's such a brilliant uh, a way for us to get involved in in what was becoming a bit of a quiet Grand Prix. Max Verstappen, Lando Norris, Fernando Alonso. You know that your podium. Perez Stroll, second Aston Martin coming in fifth. Great, great result for Lance Stroll uh, today. And Carlos Sainz in the sole Ferrari, fifty seconds back from. Verstappen, then the first of the Alpines, Gasly seventh, and Hamilton in again the lone Mercedes in eighth, but over a minute behind Max Verstappen over seventy-one laps, and Yuki Tsunoda in the AlphaTauri not far behind Hamilton in ninth, and the second Alpine, Esteban Ocon in tenth. You mentioned Sergeant, yep, he was eleventh, just missing out again on points who retired today we'll get into why Charles Leclerc couldn't make it round the formation lap uh, Alex Albon big impact at uh, T1 on the first start with Kevin Magnussen in the Haas also a DNF of Joe in the Alfa Romeo Bottas and Russell in his Mercedes all retiring Phil let's get into a kind of more conventional start of the podcast 20 minutes in probably eight it yeah uh, and talk about you know positions one and two Verstappen cleanly off the line and was troubled by Lando. Now, of course, Lando made his his way up. He made three places up because Leclerc wasn't in his grid spot. So, um, it, you know, started went sixth to second, which is an amazing start anyway, up the inside of Alonso. And for a time there, Norris troubled. 
Verstappen. And I want to get your insight, both of you guys' insight on this. How close, with the with the Red Bull development, no doubt, entirely focused on 2024, how close at the end of the season are the other teams, and you have to say, you know, McLaren is standing out, getting to giving Red Bull a bit of a headache? Well, I think this race result tells you everything. Extremely close of a one lap, not quite there over a race stint when the tyre management comes into play. If you see Lando taking pole for the sprint, he was very close today as well on new tyres. He had that lunge that he almost pulled off, Max stayed ahead. And that was pretty much it, because once the tyres start coming into play, you can really notice the difference between Rebel and the other cars. I think Norris was keeping the pace with Max pretty comfortably, but then after five or ten laps, you can start seeing the gap. It was becoming an average of a tenth, a tenth and a half per second. And uh, at the end, you see the gap is eight seconds of a race distance, and that sort of checks out. As soon as you get more than 10 laps on the tyre, Max just is able to keep him alive better and he starts just slowly driving away. So yes, McLaren is very close. Like if you had told them that in Bahrain, they would have called you crazy, but there's still that tyre management, the used tyre behaviour of that McLaren, um, of that Red Bull that is just superior. But eight, eight seconds is still enough to really trouble Red Bull if there'd been a safety car or, you know, a slow tyre change at a pit stop or something. That is not checking out. That is, and we don't know how much management, well, we do know how much management was going on because I'm going to get onto the fastest lap in a minute. It does seem that McLaren is the real deal, Phil. Like in the top speed, they're absolutely right there with Red Bull, but also the car looks nice. It's got grip, it's got balance. It, it, Lando seems to know how to work with these tyres as well. And, and we saw him really bring them in, not the softs at the end, but those mediums, you know, bring them in. And so am I reading this right, Phil? Is McLaren genuinely on pace? Because and it's different track to track, but they seem to be the real deal. I think so, because the thing I'm looking at the most is consistency. And you see every weekend McLaren is the second fastest team or maybe the third. Like last week in Mexico, you could debate, was it Lewis that was second fastest? Was it... Lando, they were closely matched, but then you see today Mercedes are nowhere, Ferrari have gone back, Aston has suddenly come back into play, but I think McLaren has been that more constant factor over the past couple of races, which is actually really impressive because if you remember, Matt, you'll know this as well in Austin, we heard McLaren and Lando say like, oh no, Austin's going to be terrible for us, then they go get a podium there. Mexico, same story. Like, oh, no, this is not good for us. Too many slow-speed corners. And Lando's one of the quickest guys in a race. And then, same story here. Again, Brazil was going to be terrible for McLaren. And again, he's on the podium with the second-fastest car. So they've definitely surprised not only us, but themselves as well, as to how they've become such a consistent challenger. Yeah, I did speak to the team about that. I said sort of, you know, politely, uh, are you... And, you know, do you know the story of the boy who cried wolf? Because that's what it's getting at now. You keep telling us you're going to be rubbish and then you're going mega. And um, I, 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 I said, like, what, what's going on? Are you simulating things wrongly? Why? Or is it just expectation management? And they said, you know, they are genuinely surprised. The simulator is like predicting the lap time, if you like. Uh, accurately and the performance is right but they are generally surprised and they they so sort of it's 
it's their competitive simulation that's off that they're anticipating this level of performance from Ferrari and X level from Mercedes and they're not getting anywhere near it so it's allowing them to be to be close but like I you know that there's a difference between being second best and being close to Red Bull because what you know 8 seconds over 65 laps minus safety car and red flags is you know getting on for a tenth a lap difference okay as i've already said it's a short lap whatever but it is it is really convincing but bigger picture i suppose you have the elements of you know as of this this these this last fortnight the red bull wind tunnel penalty for exceeding the cost cap has ended albeit they are still hamstrung by being first in the championship as the rules reset at the end of the season or as the allowances reset at the end of the season mclaren will be that much better off so they'll lose some wind tunnel time and you've got have they done that really steep part of their development curve I mean they will still fundamentally this is still the car that started the season badly and they've bolted bits onto it as a part it's not a ground up rethink you know re-homologated chassis which is what these ground effect cars worked best to is when they're designed as a whole um so maybe there is more to come but fundamentally if they've done the steepest part of their learning in season i know this sounds so pessimistic but do you just get to the the brass facts or the brass tax which is red bull have a concept which everyone else has copied but they've had that concept for a little bit longer so understand it more thoroughly and where it can go and how to stick with it but i'm going to ignore that part of my brain and just hope that mclaren are mega again next year and that mercedes get it right with the brand new car concepts and we get a bit closer so um but yeah yeah anyway for the time being it's every right to be excited um by mclaren and um i i said this on a video martin but i was actually relieved such pleased to see lando make it life just that bit harder for verstappen you know after austin and particularly on the run to turn one in the sprint race he gave Max a really easy ride of things in a way that Verstappen absolutely does not do to him, does not do to Leclerc, Hamilton, whoever. So just for the sake of entertainment, for a psychological edge, uh, for for Norris's confidence after a shocking launch and whatever, a couple of races, I thought it it was refreshing at least to see him be a lot more robust because I'm a little bit bored of this attitude of... You know, Leclerc said it. Oh, it's irrelevant if I pass Max tomorrow because he's coming back past me. Well, at least he'll try. At least, at least gives something. I, I understand that. You know, because the Pirellis are so sort of well, they're not very durable. That if you if you uh, sorry, it's late at night. I'm trying to think of nice language. If you destroy them by going after Max you know, for the sake of a bit of glory for five laps, then you're going to really suffer for it later in a stint. So that's not the pragmatic thing to do. But still, just do it, please. please. Yes, so I was go for to, it. Yeah. Just do it. And and you know what? At this stage of the season, if you do something that's a bit of a 50-50, no one concedes and both are just racing hard. I don't mind saying that. I don't want to see cars going off track. I don't want to see Skittles. I don't want to see bangers and crash and all that kind of stuff. But I kind of don't mind a robust move that kind of goes wrong at this stage of the season. So yeah, Lando, go for it. We love you. Wreck your tires, take it all and just put Max on, just see what happens when Max goes under pressure. Cause we know he'll want to win everything, even though nothing's, um, you know, they're uh, at stake there. Phil, before we move on, anything to add on the sort of Mercedes, um, McLaren stuff. If not, I want to get into why there was a big gap at the front with, with Leclerc not being there, but any thoughts, Phil, that I need to, to come back to you on. 
No, with McLaren, it's just you asked, are they going to be a more consistent challenger next year for Red Bull? I think the good news is that it's not necessarily about 2024, about the current form. It's more about how's your development curve been since the summer. And, you know, if you're worried about McLaren not being able to sustain it, I think Aston Martin is a good example of the fact that it can be done. And I also think that McLaren aren't really early with their car for next year. They have a new wind tunnel that came on stream in July, and that's also roughly when they shifted to 2024. Unfortunately, because our dominant rebel had been, they started even earlier with the RB20. So that's a bad news, um, because they've been so far ahead, they could just focus on 2024. Very early on, barely had to develop this year. And that means even the, the budget cap penalty and sort of the testing restrictions are likely not to affect them that much. Sorry to be a basketball artist. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And of course, in terms of over what happens over the winter period as well, Rob Marshall, who is the chief engineering officer at Red Bull, well, technically he is, uh, but he uh, left the company with, or left his. I guess day-to-day active role. I've got to be careful how I say this when they announced that he'd be joining McLaren from uh, the minute he's allowed to in January. So uh, what's the phrase? Gardening leave. But uh, whether that still means he's being paid by Red Bull or not, I don't know whether these, you know, these guys that are so far at the top, whether they're on staff contracts or whether they're all on, you know, they're all contractors to provide their services. I don't know, uh, Matt. But again, really impressive from um, uh, from McLaren to make all the right hires at the right time. It seems. On the, on the gardening leave, actually, there's a few good sections in Adrian Newey's own book. I wonder if his uh, colleagues have taken inspiration from it, that rather than actually tending to your daffodils, you don't switch off. You can still, uh, let's say, sociably meet your future colleagues for dinner and have discussions with them. And you can still draw things in your study at home and, and remember certain bits of technology. It never goes from you. It's, you know, he won't just, Rob Marshall won't just be... Uh, like I say, tending tending to his grass and whatever. But um, yeah, M- McLaren, uh, McLaren are so impressive. You say, uh, as as Phil said, you know, you've got the wind tunnel coming on, which you assume they can calibrate. Sort of slight irony that because they've taken a big step with the old Toyota facility, they'll get to use their brand new investment that little bit less because they'll have reduced time in it. But with that tech structure, which, you know, I think, the obvious criticism when it was first announced it was far too convoluted, but that doesn't seem to be an issue so far. And it's they're bringing things they're bringing things to the car. They're working instantly and they're working well. And the line leading into this like massive update stream was that we're going to change virtually every single aerodynamic part in the car. Well, now they've done it, and the next line is that this is only I think it's something like this is only like sixty percent of what we want to run the start of next season, or or sixty percent of it be new. I forget which side of you know fifty fifty it is, but there's a whole heap more to come. So Red Bull have said the RB. 20s obviously evolution rather than revolution but it is a development they can't stand still but you know come on McLaren this is yeah yeah this is uh, this is 
a really good opportunity for them, I hope. Yeah, so in the constructors, the way it shakes out after the points that a Red Bull, obviously still uh, far, so far, they'd be they'd be number one, even not just uh, Verstappen's points. Then Mercedes uh, on 3-8-2 and Ferrari on 3-6-2 points. That's not a done deal. Second and third, not a done deal. And then for the battle for, well, for fourth, but in fourth and fifth is McLaren and Aston. Again, 20 points between those two teams, but it looks like McLaren, if they keep this up, will be um, fourth in the constructors but that's that second place well ferrari could have had some decent points today but matt tell us why there was a big ferrari shaped hole on the front row today what happened to leclerc on the formation lap yeah complete electronics failure so um absolutely not a driver fault uh which i know i'm sort of i think out of all uh, out of a lot of drivers people are probably sooner to rush to the conclusion that it's a driver fault when it's Leclerc involved but yeah hydraulics failure uh, sorry electronics failure which triggered a hydraulics failure so we saw the rear wing uh, the rear axle locking up and just spitting him off instantly but also that meant um, power steering went and so it was then impossible basically to gather up because you know the steering was just so so heavy even at those speeds so he slams into the the barrier and actually gets away with it quite lightly you know he he pulls himself out of the um out the tech pro and i think it's just a bit of a it looks like a grazed um front wing you think that is salvageable albeit you know he'll have to pit early on and whatever and suffer his race but he gets rolling again and then has another complete electronics failure so that's why he pulls off and it looks you know, uh, and and he's out of the race. Uh, for what it's worth, they weren't concerned. Ferrari weren't concerned about a similar issue on Carlos Sainz's car. Um, and although it was uh, one Haas was eliminated in the first corner melee, both Alfa Romeos retired as well. They haven't said what it is, just undiagnosed or or you know something they're not disclosing technical failures potentially. But potentially that could be as many as three Ferrari system errors today. So uh, pretty torrid reliability. But I say that's a big if under it. Whereas Leclerc's concerned, yeah, complete electronic shutdown as we had on Friday night in the hotel after the storm wiped out electronics and uh, and I have to say the plumbing as well. Oh, deep, deep joy. Oh, and we also had an electrics fire in the uh, media centre today. So, uh, yeah, just, just Brazilian electricity, bit of a bit of a struggle this weekend. Yeah, I heard that the media centre tried to burn itself down today. So well done for surviving uh, that. Um, and oh, a couple of things uh, to get from the track, by the way. Obviously, we saw those pictures on social media of one of the grandstands uh, really suffering in those high winds on Friday. But we heard news that uh, the organisers had been summoned post Grand Prix, Matt, for a uh, pitch invasion. Sorry, track invasion. What happened there? What? Because nothing appeared on TV. What was the? Did you see anything? What happened? Uh, I didn't see anything because I was down sort of in the media pen, but I did hear a, hear a lot. So um, the the paddock in Brazil is sort of it's very narrow and you've got the garages on one side, the hospitality on the other, but then the top, there's all balconies. And so when the drivers are coming through, people were like lowering shirts down on like fishing lines to get them signs and hooking them up. But there was loads of noise. I looked up, it's like, it's not coming from these people. But then what I failed to realise is Alonso just stepped out on the podium and there were so many people, you know, to exaggerate probably a little bit, but it's like, you know, Monza or, or Silverstone when people 
just line the home straight, which they are entitled to do. But those go- gates only open at prescribed time after the chequered flag. Well, people were voting those and clearing them already, and basically the officials were just overpowered. They didn't have the right protocols in place, um, and yeah, a large a large group got onto the track. So cars were still on circuit. It was still a live track. So obviously, you know, could have been pretty pretty dire. Uh, so the Brazil circuit organisers have to submit or they have to do a thorough investigation and submit what they plan as remedial work in time for next year. The World Motorsport Council could escalate it. Well, Australia was worse and it was a fine and I don't think they'll ban the race. You know, in the, in the weekend, they've just announced a new five-year contract for it. So this is this is probably it for now. But yeah, obviously, um, silly scenes. Yeah, 50th World Championship Grand Prix in Brazil, uh, Brazil and 40 years into Lagos. Not going anywhere. And it should be, the, it, we should be ending the season here as well. What a great racetrack. Uh, I'll say over and over again to anyone that will listen. Um, Phil, let's talk about the Ferraris then. So, where do you think, oh, I hate playing this game of sliding doors and the, you know, if possible, but when. But if Leclerc had been where he should have been, and we had Carlos Sainz coming home sixth had clutch issues all weekend uh, and uh, and that affected his start 50 seconds behind uh, today and it's hard to say where Leclerc would have been but uh, Ferrari's pace this weekend Phil what do you think? Yeah it's I think it's a, a typical 2023 vintage Ferrari race in that obviously they had the pace you know, Leclerc was on the front row or should have been on the front row but I think he had absolutely no chance of uh, keeping up with Max or with Norris for that matter uh, if you look at where Alonso Perez finished 34 seconds behind I think that was probably the ballpark maybe he would have been fine for a podium in third but yeah just typical Ferrari this year very quick on one lap but then the race pace uh, really went south just on a track where a lot of teams struggle with time degradation they were definitely struggling as well which we've seen them do a lot this season. What do Ferrari have to do to get back to competitiveness that we saw earlier in the year? Build a new car. <laughs> but okay, no, but Not much for the last the winter, then yeah, I think so. I think it's a, I think it's a, a chassis, um, a job, a winter job. They do have two races coming up where we don't really know what's going to happen. In uh, yeah. The winter wonderland of Las Vegas. Maybe they'll be okay there because tires won't really be an issue. Who knows? I don't think anybody knows. Abu Dhabi might suit them a little bit more because it's not a high deck circuit either. But yeah, this is one of the races where they really, or one of the type of circuits where they really struggled this year. So it was not really a surprise that it happened again. Now let's get on to Mercedes, Matt. I want to hear your thoughts on this. Toto Wolf looked as broken as I've seen him all season. He just says it's inexcusable for Mercedes to be this bad. Now, they retired uh, Russell because uh, of engine oil temperatures, and it was the last race that PE was going to do anyway and didn't want it to go bang out on track. So debatable whether Russell would have even got a point. Hamilton rescued a little more for the team in the Grand Prix today, but still coming home over a minute behind Verstappen, eighth place. Um, Why are so many people saying that this was one of the worst performances of Mercedes all year, Matt. Yeah, Wolf said um, it was his worst sort of uh, F1 weekend uh, weekend in F1, but I think that means he now has three of those in this year alone. So how it rates the other worst weekends he's had in F1, I'm not quite sure. But it, it was a disaster. Well, 
disaster. Yeah, let's say disaster then. It was a disaster for sort of two reasons. One, because after the Austin upgrade, they've been uber competitive and massive uptick in performance. You think of how, um, okay, you know, Hamilton's car was illegal. It was disqualified in Austin, but how much actually running it that low to, to wear out the plank gave his performance advantage, I think is not severe enough. I think he was very close to Verstappen in that final stint and they were competitive again in Mexico. So you've got that, that, you know, you think you're taking a stride forward and maybe getting somewhere with a car concept, which we know is going to be binned, but you still want to see that progress. And then the wheels completely come off this weekend. So that one, in the context of the last three races, it looks bad. But also there is, this is the, this is the track where the W13 managed to win both sprint race and Grand Prix last year. And so there were expectations that came along with that, that, you know, could they be competitive? Could they fight for the win? And okay, qualifying pace showed possibly not. And they were caught out really by the sprint setup again, which is they only had the hour of free practice before Park Ferme came in. And what they wanted, or they targeted a high downforce specification compared to last year, high downforce setup. Well, as we saw, that absolutely didn't pay dividends in terms of tyre management because that's what you get from downforce. You get better tyres. That I would partially tribute just to, again, the, the Prellies weren't at all durable this weekend. So you're sort of not even chasing diminishing turns. Are there any returns when they were so fragile this weekend? But you just saw they had nothing in a straight line. Sort of when when Hamilton had DRS against Perez, he was able to draw alongside Perez, but not make a manoeuvre. When Perez was coming from behind, he was he was postcodes ahead. It was so slow in a straight line. So that that setup was a right unhappy with the tyres. Um and and yeah, and then you go back even in the context of these races that this has been Mercedes' whole ground effect problem, isn't it? Where they think they understand something and then it goes. They cannot get either of these zero side pod cars in an operating window for more than five minutes. And so this was this was a snapshot of of that. And you know, when okay, they are bidding a car concept, they're coming with something new for next year, something that's hopefully a bit more predictable, less capricious. But you're two races from the end of your second season with this car concept and 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 Russell is still calling it mind boggling and says his head's you know, the car's full of questions mm. and, and Hamilton wants to see it bend. It's just it's almost copy and paste. Not that the narrative hasn't changed at all and yeah. and that, uh, you know, our news stories haven't changed in autosport, but how many times do we hear it say they don't understand this car? And they still don't. Mm. Well, this was over the course this weekend. We heard more about Mike Elliott's departure, chief technical officer there, but previously technical director and, you know, leading that team with the that design philosophy of the so-called zero side pods and Toto Wolf making clear that, you know, they haven't fired him as a sort of sacrifice for, for what's happened in the same way that Adrian Newey gets so much credit at Red Bull, but ultimately, you know, he's not designing every nut bolt and washer on that vehicle, but these technical leaders, Matt, they do steer the course of the ship. And it's a very important role they have. We talked about, you know, Rob Marshall already moving to McLaren. What about the accusation there's a bit of a brain drain at Mercedes? Maybe not at the very top, but just generally starting to be a bit of a dynasty that's falling and losing good people. 
Yeah, that is a, a conversation that um, we had as like a wider autosport team. Some of the names we came up with are people to leave Mercedes over the last few years. You know, so you've got what Aldo Costa, Bob Bell, Loic Serra, Jock Clear, Tony Ross. Uh, you know, so these are all just some of the people uh, to to leave, and some of that is a natural cycle of people departing teams and obviously you know they're eight time constructors champion they're going to get hired by other people and and the number twos in command are going to get offered slightly more money and more profile to go to another team and be the number one it does feel more with Mercedes but that might just be because they're more high profile names that have gone rather than like so they've Dave I know um, Mercedes early in the season hired a chief aerodynamicist from Red Bull but despite the name chief aerodynamicist that's not an exceptionally senior role so you know that's not covered so much so there's but um, and we didn't panic then about Red Bull leaving uh, losing personnel but you can certainly see why when there's when there's a turnover and, and the correlation between that and not going, and I just realised I didn't even mention James Vowers and all of that, that there is a brain drain. I'm a bit sceptical to say how much that's that's playing into matters on track. One, because, you know, if the people coming in are absolutely, you know, competent still. And two, I'm just, I'm just I want to see how next year starts before we start going it. After then, if next year is they've changed concepts and they're still nowhere then I think every Manchester United post Sir Alex Ferguson dip you want to make even though Toto Wolff is still the same man in charge then I'm happy to make those comparisons but I just want to see how next year starts because you can understand why they're in that situation as in they saw they did they screwed up with 2022 but they might not have done in the sense that they saw a concept that the peak downforce levels were championship winning potentially that was what happened in a perfect world of the simulator in the perfectly smooth wind tunnel floor in reality it didn't work so you can you can sort of forgive that because it was a translation error rather than a fun than necessarily a bad concepts well it was a bad concept but i hopefully the re, uh, listeners can understand what i'm getting at then slightly less but maybe still we can forgive the fact that they did have that run of form in Austin where the Red Bull bad pit stop allowed Lewis to close or Hamilton to close Ferrari were out of it in Mexico and Hamilton was very competitive again and then you do have the winning streak in Brazil and okay decisions for the 2023 car should have been signed off well before then so I don't 100% buy that it was Brazil that completely threw Mercedes to stick with the zero side pod concept but nevertheless you can understand maybe why they thought they could just about get it to stick and obviously they've done that and they've realized halfway through and I, I, I get their way it's been presented to the world it's very much a mutual job swap between Mike Elliott and James Allison but there was a job swap whatever that has gone on now and I'm sure there's loads of things that they would have loved to have done to this car still that a the cost cap and b the crash homologation and not being able to redo the whole chassis have avoided so if you can put all those together and that explains the two years then let's see how they win and and Alison has said himself right it doesn't matter what the narrative is what you say to the media you can tell within five laps of testing really where this car is going to sit and so 
let's see how they roll out of next season. But after after that, if we get to, let's say, the Spanish Grand Prix, feels another wonderful media centre picnic for us, and we're still talking about Mercedes being naff, then yeah, maybe it is a fall of a dynasty. But I just want to hold on that little bit longer, give them one last chance. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think it's, you know, don't let's not chase cheap headlines as, as you know, some might be tempted to do. Uh, but it's definitely a, a storyline that we continue to watch in the W15. And let's see. So let's talk about a couple of cars further down the order. I want to talk a little bit about Alpha Tauri at times. I've had some speed over recent races and a double point finish for Alpine, Phil. Either of those teams you want to tackle first? I think Alpha Tauri is probably a good one to start because they sort of quietly crept closer and closer, haven't they? They had a really, really terrible season. And then instead of focusing on sort of one big upgrade package he decided to sort of incrementally add things to tweak the floor and they've gone to a level where they're actually quite decent now and they're not setting the world on fire but certainly in you know we talked about how great they were in Mexico we warned at the time that this was very much a track specific thing that they were very good at and I think this weekend kind of confirmed that they're now back to their sort of more normal level and yes I was fairly impressed with Yuki Tsunoda. He made quite a few errors last week. He seemed a bit more patient, especially in the sprint race. Uh, a bit more composed in his battles. And obviously Daniel Ricciardo, completely innocent bystander at the start in that side crash. Um, I think he got a piece of tyre from, I want to say it was um, Albon. That sort of dancing around the track and then you know, like a cartoon anvil hit his uh, rear wing. So that was that for him because he was a lap down. But all in all, yeah, some encouraging signs that they are starting to get their act together a bit more. That big battle that they're having uh, for 7, 8, 9 and 10, because uh, Alpine have you know, pulled away from that with us. Couple of decent weekends over the year, over 100 points now. Uh, but Williams on 28, Alpha Tauri on 21, Alpha Romeo on 16, and Haas on 12 points. And uh, these next two races could, uh, you know, really be everything or nothing if they can get a half decent result. And let's talk about that as we uh, almost sign off the podcast. We cannot until we talk to our listeners about what we can what we can't expect from Las Vegas, what we do, what we don't know. Uh, Matt, uh, it's, we're going into the unknown. I hadn't realized exactly how cold it's going to be in Vegas. I'd read the stories about Lando Norris ordering heated gloves. Uh, you know, on a serious side, it's going to be a real, real challenge. Gets pretty nippy late at night in November in Vegas, because I've only been a couple of times there. Um, and let me tell you, both times like 35 degrees. <laughs> I am not experiencing the temperatures Formula One's going to get to for that Saturday night race. What What are you looking forward to with Vegas? I'm looking forward to going in 2024 when hopefully it all works. Because uh, I think a fledgling, a fledgling <laughs> race, and I, I've read that all the casino workers and waiters are going to go on strike in the days leading up to the Grand Prix. It's the biggest event of the year. Uh, but yeah, it'll be... Um, it's going to be another tire event, isn't it? So the teams will, the teams are, uh, they think there'll be a few, few curveballs thrown by like blanking plates and covering off brake dots and maybe even the radiators. Like, I mean, it'll be full February Silverstone filming day spec, sort of trying to keep these cars in a nice operating window. But unfortunately, to keep the tires in a 
keep them basically heating it, they're going to have to be soft. The softest three compounds Pirelli are going to take. And uh, they're not changing any of the overnight warm-up procedures. So to keep them in a sweet spot, it can only be down to the limited pressure stuff they can change. And because it's so cold, if you remember, you know, we've had it in Barcelona testing and stuff over the years, they basically scrub across the surface and because they've got no bite and then you get massive graining and tearing and so tyres are going to be a massive talking point I think Pirelli and everyone knows that I'm right with you there on what we can expect from the infrastructure Formula 1 itself is putting on the the Grand Prix and there's a load of articles that I'm seeing in non-racing media and also you know my YouTube homepage is full of people putting videos up saying oh i'm in las vegas ahead of it and it's a disaster and you know a lot of tourists are not able to take photos that they want of the of the famous shots of of whatever because either all of the boards have been put up to stop the freeloaders watching you haven't spent two grand on a ticket you can't see it from there uh, but also i think you know because the police don't want people congregating on things like the overpasses and the bridges uh, so they've all been blanked off and in the meantime tourists are turning up to vegas going i don't care about motor racing round in circles i can't take the photos that i want to do because this whole place has been disrupted and so uh, you're right and about about talking about the workers uh, walking out as well so it's just going to be absolutely fascinating before we go phil anything you're looking forward to any questions that you've got that you think might be answered by vegas uh, we're a couple of weeks away from it no but as somebody who likes a bit of chaos once in a while i'm very much looking forward to <laughs> vegas and the tires I think I was at that test in Barcelona that you mentioned, Q. I think it was 2017. I could be off by a year, but it was completely covered in snow everywhere. And it was, yeah, quite a challenging test for everybody. So I'm really looking forward to it. But at least the Pirellis are not going to overheat. So that's that's your positive. Um, But no, I'm looking forward to going. Um, You know, I volunteered to go this year. So next year, Q can waltz in and enjoy the perfect event like he did this year in Miami <laughs> so yeah so no I'm looking forward to it I mean is it going to be a great race who knows but I think just watching cars at night yeah uh, buzz down the, the strip I think is going to be quite a, a sight I think something that was maybe unthinkable a couple of years ago but Liberty Media managed to pull it off and you know I'm open-minded I'm willing to give it a chance Am I getting a bit tired by all the buzz and all the hype around sort of the extra curricular activities? A little bit, a little bit jaded, but hey, first time, I always like going to a, a new race, so I'm looking forward to it. For our European listeners, and I'm aware I'm not going to run through every possible time zone permutation, uh, but l- let me give you UK times, aware that the clocks have changed everywhere now. So because uh, the US changed uh, this weekend, just gone, actually. So, y- you know, for, for East Coast minus five and for y- Central Europe plus one, I'll give you the UK times. So free practice, if you're watching it, is at 4.30 in, in the morning and eight in the morning. And then the FP3 session again happens at 4.30. Quali happens at eight in the morning over your cornflakes. And then very much like Australia, it's a Sunday morning, early morning, get the coffee on, six o'clock start. And of course, that means the Formula One goes racing on a Saturday evening under the lights of Vegas. Can't wait to go see it. Uh, so there you go. That's that's the UK Times. You can work it all out. Uh, gents, thank you so much 
for joining us on the podcast today. That's good fun. And we look forward now to heading over in a couple of weeks' time to a brand new event. That's our podcast today. We'd love to know what you think of all of the things we've discussed. You can email the show, podcast at autosport.com. Check out the videos that we make, and you can do that on the YouTube channel. Uh, we are Autosport. Leave a comment as well. We love to read those and next week on the channel we're going to have a good old chat uh, about BTCC the touring cars and the Toka support series that'll be a midweek podcast I reckon uh, if you love stuff like that thanks for listening we'll see you on the next one Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.